You're listening to an encore presentation from the Transformation Talk Radio Network. Had enough of the been there, done that ideas? Tired of too much talk and so little action? Rewind now and welcome to Transformation and Change Radio with Dr. Kathy O'Bear, where the vision of true equity, inclusion, courage, and purpose meet powerfully. Dr. Kathy delivers with dynamic, engaging conversation and the most authentically brave dialogue on air today. This hit show will challenge you to explore current issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion and deepen your capacity to choose courage to speak up to greater inclusion in everything you do. Fasten your seatbelts and accelerate your effectiveness to become a powerful change agent in your life, community, job, and society. Imagine true equity and inclusion and get the tools to really manifest your vision. No frills, no fluff, just really powerful, good stuff. Transformation and Change Radio starts now. Welcome. I am Dr. Kathy O'Bear, and you are listening to Transformation and Change Radio. Each month, first Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we'll discuss practical, applicable change strategies you can use as a change agent with your leaders in order to create high-performing, inclusive teams and organizations throughout all that you do your work. Stay with us for the next hour. We have an exciting show here where we look at how do you avoid the potholes and dead ends of organizational change efforts. Now, you remember the last week, last month, we talked about how to avoid these potholes by going it alone and how to build coalitions with other change agents, relationship with leaders. And now in this show, I'm honored to be with the Reverend Dr. Jamie Washington, president and founder of the Washington Consulting Group. And we're here to have an engaging conversation about how do you avoid those dead ends and potholes when you're trying to lead change from the middle or lead change from the top and you're getting resistance. Now, if you don't know Jamie Washington, you need to start following him on Twitter, Facebook, go to his website, Washington Consulting Group, think about bringing him into your organization. Because today, I want you to really get to hear his wisdom and brilliance. He has over 34 or five years as an educator, administrator, consultant in higher education. That's when we first met early 80s. We were young pups. And he was just the immediate past president of the American College Personnel Association. And that's where we started meeting and working together, ACPA. What I'm most excited about is he was named by The Economist well-deserved as one of the top 10 global diversity consultants in the world, and we are honored to have him here. But he also serves as the pastor of University Fellowship Church of Baltimore, an elder in the Unity Fellowship Church movements. And what I'm most proud of is it was 1998. We started the conversations in the 90s, but in 1998, we started the Social Justice Training Institute together with Maura Collin and Vernon Wall as co-founders, and today's our 20th anniversary. Mm -hmm. So I just am delighted to have you here and honor our over 30-year anniversary of working together. So thank you so much for joining us today. It is such an honor to be here. Thank you so much. I am am delighted to be in this conversation and so much celebrate our partnership and the work that we've done to really help transform not only institutions and organizations, but actually our, our world. Uh, so it's uh, delightful to be in this space in this conversation with you today. Yeah. So where do I begin? But I was hoping you would just talk about your passion, because I know when we start workshops together, we ask people to just ground it in their higher selves and their passion. So I wondered if you just talk about why for these decades you're committed to just equity, inclusion, social justice change work. 
Well, the, the, the question of passion is such an important one, uh, particularly in our conversation today, because it is, it is from that place that we will be able to maintain and to stay in the conversation. So with that, um, I wanna just offer my own experience um, in the topic. I come to the work as a child of the 60s. Um, and uh, I remember very clearly um, always feeling like it was important to be fair, to treat people right, uh, that justice and um, re respect for humanity was a big deal for me. Um, and I come from uh, school systems where we literally, we shared every day the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. We shared every day um, the Star Spangled Banner. We shared the uh, Negro Black National Anthem. Those were things, are the, those, those are the ways we started all of our assemblies. And so for me, <clears throat> there was this thing about uh, being a part of this country that was uh, at the core, respecting, valuing, um, and justice for everyone. Now, I didn't know at that young age that that wasn't necessarily the way it was all playing out. I agree. But what I did know was that was the value that was instilled in me and that resonated with me very much so. And so uh, folks would often tell me, my friends would tell me today, Jamie, you were always fighting for the underdogs or fighting to make sure things were fair um, and that there was access to, for folks. And so I think that that was a very early thing for me and that I come from a family that uh, believed in, you know, treating people with dignity and respect and so on. And so my passion really comes from those roots, um, a grounding in, it's grounded really in liberty and justice for all and all having the right to the pursuit of happiness and, and freedom. Those, those things are at the core of where um, I, I come from. I talk about uh, briefly where remembering the day that uh, Dr. King was assassinated. And uh, while I was young, third grade at that time, I remember in school that day that it was a sad day. And it was a sad day because one of our drum majors for justice had been killed. And that, that was a turning point, I think, in my young life that hit me very deeply, such that the rest of my life has been focused um, on making sure that I would continue the work of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and so many others that, have, that were with him and have gone before him. So that's uh, where I speak to, from, from my passion from. What I love about that is people listening are probably thinking about their own passion because to do long-term culture change work, we have to be so grounded in our passion, connected to others in their purpose and passion and in alignment with the organizations we're working or it's going to be exhaustion, burnout. So what I'd love you to begin talking about as we think about dead ends, can you share one or two examples of well-intended, maybe even got off to a good start, change efforts? but that ran into pitfalls and dead ends that they may not have anticipated and maybe why that happened. Absolutely. So I'm going to enter with the, what I've been talking with folks about these days is recognizing that culture change, organizational change is a long-term process. And so part of what I uh, have experienced, uh, and I didn't always know this either, 
I didn't know that what we were working for was a shift in the culture. So I thought as I started out that, uh, so I remember my early years in the work, again, as I talk about as an undergraduate, I, I felt like I was doing some of this work. And I thought all we had to do was just help people to be nicer to people, right? Just, just uh, you know, give people experience with people, help people be nicer to people, help folks to understand individual and interpersonal engagement, and that'll do it, right? And so I think that, I, and I talk about these days, I talk about technology from the 80s and, and understanding that um, there was cutting edge technology in the 80s, um, whether that was uh, the initial car phone, the cell phone. In the 90s, we had the beepers and the pagers and um, we, we got the desktop computers and so on. And all of that um, technology was really important then to address what was the current state. I talk about today part of the pitholes and potholes that folks fall into is they're trying to do diversity um, and um, equity and organizational change with 1980s technology. And the problem with that is that that technology is no longer um, useful. And so what folks have been asking for, so Jamie, talk about 1980s technology. So the pitholes, the potholes are 1980s technology is, is, is individual and interpersonal. It's we are the world, right? It is colorblindness, right? It is not noticing difference, right? Uh, it is uh, not going to where we are uncomfortable. So let's just all get along. And even as I name some of those things, folks can get a hold of remembering when they got told that, when they heard that, and that was the narrative, right? So that by itself is one of the major potholes that we are trying to do the work without upgrading our technologies. And the technologies upgrade requires that we understand that shifting organizations for greater inclusion requires more than just the interpersonal um, and individual group engagement. And so where I've seen organizations fall is that that's been their focus. So what that looks like is it looks like only increasing numbers, so doing the best to increase the demographic or the optics. It looks like only putting money or increasing a programmatic effort here and there. So we increase some diversity programs. We've got list and list of all the programs, things that we've done, but those things are not tied to strategic, connected, organized efforts that are connected not only to um, a strategic diversity and inclusion plan, but a strategic plan for the institution and or organization. It's gotta be integrated um, in that way. I see myself in all you're describing because early in my time as a consultant and I just, all I loved doing was training. So I'd come in and train, people would ask me back the next year, I'd come in and do another keynote or training. And I think it was you I heard a few years ago, you started asking folks, so what has changed since I was last here? How are you shifting? And so I'll bet for the last five to eight to 10 years, I've been so aware of that pothole that I fall into and just see people, not only lots of frenetic activity, but just training, increasing awareness. Now, the challenge is, as I talked about in the last month, that three phases of organizational change that we learned in the LCY Cross Associates several decades ago when we were in that consulting firm. 
And so phase one is often where people get stuck. Just mm -hmm. keep training people over and over and over. You have turnover, the revolving door, mostly folk of color, indigenous folk might demographically, like we still have 12%, mm -hmm. but people aren't noticing. It's different folk of color, indigenous folk. That's right. And if it's a STEM organization, science, math, and you're also looking at a strong sex assigned to birth gender, mm -hmm. you're looking at women, women across race, are they the same white women, women of color, mm -hmm. trans of color? Are you still, so some lack of measurement, but another pothole I think that happens at phase one, I'd love you to share a bit on this, is we move too quickly. What I relate when I was inside organizations as well as the consultant that was brought in, I was just so urgent and anxious because the pain was so deep, the microaggressions, mm -hmm. the policies and practices. Needed. And so we would just jump in and start doing work with an inclusion change team and not get leader commitment because phase one is about increasing awareness of leaders and getting their commitment, not just talk the talk, but deep commitment. Yeah. And so can you talk a bit about those potholes and maybe what do you do when yeah. you find yourself in that dead end? Yeah, so that's so good, Kathy. Um, you named powerfully the the phase one kind of key dynamics and where we get stuck in the spinning of training um, and just doing the education awareness. And we might have a leader come in and kick off the education awareness training session. They don't stay, right? So they leave. So they're not in community with people even doing that particular important intervention and strategy, right? Uh, so that very, very key to getting leaders buy-in and understanding of why this matters in the context of the work we're doing, right? So what's the value add? What does this have to do with the success and our mission such that we are clear that this is not an add-on, this is not um, um, image management, this is not so we stay out of the paper, but this is really about, we can't do the mission of our institution without doing this work well. So really having leaders understand that and understanding their own capacity to lead in that way. So to recognize, I may not have the expertise myself, that's not my discipline, that's not my training, but I know enough to know that it's critical. So I want to build my capacity to be effective in that. Now, what has historically happened um, in terms of that pothole as well, is that we will often then, and what you'll see today is uh, institutions hiring diversity officers. And so they will potentially get someone at the table who then uh, the expectation is, is that that person will handle it all, right? So uh, first or previous rounds in the 90s and early 2000s, we did not have that person at the table, at the senior leadership table. Now with that person at the table, I think one of the potholes is that they will be able to move the institution as a singular person, right? Um, and get all of that done. The challenge sometimes with those positions and filling them is that what we have often done is we have hired the person on campus who has really strong passion, people like them uh, in doing the work, uh, uh, or we've hired someone uh, from the community 
that has been a kind of a vocal person that has been in criticism of kind of the way things have gone. And so those people bring a particular set of skills and expertise and knowledge about uh, maybe a breadth of difference, but often uh, uh, particular identities and not necessarily the breadth of uh, uh, understanding and knowledge. And, and so when we bring those folks into the senior roles, they come in and then they're, they're having to navigate all of the stuff that's happening and finding themselves with the expectation that they're gonna know what it is that they need to do. What my colleague, um, Dr. Damon Williams talks about all the time, which I think is was a very powerful piece of my own learning as I got deeper into organizational change and understanding, is that the skill set and knowledge base around diversity, equity, and inclusion is one of the pieces that's needed. The other major piece that's often needed is understanding the dynamics and the skills needed for organizational and cultural change. And so sometimes we've got org people without the discipline understanding of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And other times we've got disciplined folks of org, um, diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, or dynamics of uh, identity without the org. And so those two, miss, those two pieces not together um, ha keep having us have uh, misses. So I think that understanding that both of those are valuable and that if you've got someone whose particular expertise is around the org change stuff, that's great, but have to recognize what's missing, right? And who do I need to put around me to fill in the stuff that I don't have? Likewise, the other way around as well, and not just to be binary in terms of the way thinking, but the, the balance of both of those is what it's going to take to change an organization's culture around uh, these, this topic. And to have those skills continually develop, not That's only right. in these isolated roles, which is That's what right. I see too, but that all leaders, maybe the top two, three, even four leader, layers right. of leadership continually get these skills. Yes. I have an organization that uh, was very proactive. They're like, we're about to hire our first vice president of equity inclusion. We're all white leadership team, except folks of color we bring in as fellows or as interim in that role. And so we realized, they realized they need to do their own work as leaders, looking at internalized dominance, how they have white culture embedded as the only in the right way, skills to look at their policies and practices. So we did deep work, was almost caucus work mm -hmm. as whites, as they were hiring so that's one example of leadership development, not only get their buy-in, these folks are very different energetically and committed after doing their own self-work, but that was just on race. What are some other ways that you've seen to get top leader commitment through training and development and with these senior equity inclusion officers and maybe even other members of their team or inclusion change teams? So we're building capacity of the leaders, getting that change management work going but also having leaders start to do some of their personal work. Well, what you name again, uh, very powerfully, is that the understanding from leaders is that doing this work well, building capacity and skill development is about self-awareness, is about doing self-work. And uh, that is a different, that is a different narrative. That's a counterculture narrative. It's, it's not what, we, so we, 
as leaders have learned that I need to learn how to do this thing or to do that thing or a piece of technology or to do a budget or, you know, to understand styles. And so we learned some of that stuff. And, and that, even as I named styles, that's a, kind of in a soft skills place. But it is so that I can work with others, right? It isn't that I need to do my own work so that I understand who I am showing up in that. And so inviting folks to have more than a cognitive level of knowing around what it means to lead with, a, with an equity-mindedness or a diversity, equity, and inclusion um, and justice lens uh, is a part of the shifting of the narrative. So for me to spend time, as you did, talking about deep work, almost caucus work, uh, that's to buy in and accept that that's a part of those skill development that I need to do, that I'm able to not only notice how um, my whiteness lens, right, um, or my internalized oppression lens is showing up even in this interaction or in this uh, policy that we're doing or this program that we're putting out, being able to uh, not only catch that, notice that, but also being able to hear when I'm receiving feedback that I missed it is a part of the skill development. That does take, again, a willingness to get vulnerable, a willingness to be able to be uh, okay with being uncomfortable, a willingness to understand that, uh, that uh, to, to, to be out of blame and shame. That's a process that often uh, when we're working with groups uh, at leadership levels, they've not had practice in doing. So that's the other piece for me. What When I'm working with that senior leadership group, I'm often asking, so talk about your practice with engagement, right? Engaging yourself as well as others. And often what I find in senior leadership groups is they've had communication, but no engagement. Um, so they come to the meetings, they report what they need to report, they hear what their uh, marching orders are, and they leave. And so this work is requiring that they work a whole different muscle. Um, and so it takes a different kind of time to get them to move into that way. And so what I always say is, in this space, we're inviting you to move through all of the stuff that you're already carrying around how you're doing as an organization before we can even get to the dynamics of identity and difference and how that shows up. So often people are showing up where I don't like the provost, I don't like the, um, the vice president for administration. Some of it is identity connected, but they haven't had the skills to talk about what that's about. I don't, I don't trust her, I don't trust the way they engage. And so often the work is moving through that stuff such that we can then get into the how does, um, as a racialized person, my show, how does gender, how does um, gender identity and sexual orientation and ability um, and a first language, how is that impacting our ability to hear each other, our ability to engage effectively in these conversations that we have to lead our organization around for greater inclusion and equity. I love it. Fabulous. So in phase one, you can either do some of the getting them to be honest, authentic engagement, finding the blocks already, the politicking, and or my experience is you can use equity, inclusion, social justice team retreats yes, to build those relationships, to build the capacity to have engaged conversation, and it builds the trust. And then you can also then backfill 
whatever other navigating difficult situations. There's a whole nother skill set that leaders need and can get navigating triggers and hot buttons. And if you do it right. real time, as you said so powerfully, it's not a cognitive intellectual, which is so white male culture. Mm-hmm. It is a full body way of doing it. That's right. We need to move to our, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I just want to really um, emphasize and echo the time commitment. So as you named retreat, um, I'm working with a, a, a campus right now. Um, I'm just doing leader development, right? We're not, we're not talking about strategy, organizational change. Not, we're not doing any of that. We're doing the work that the leaders need so that they can get to that, right? Um, so it is retreat. It is executive coaching, um, individual time, uh, and, uh, and then ongoing um, staff togetherness. So the individual time, the coaching, uh, uh, the retreat are all a part of that space. But again, that's a time commitment. And so one of the things that we fell into was the the institution, what got them to being willing to do it was it was a part of a demand. And as it was a part of a demand for them to be be willing to do their own work, um, they got there, they were willing, but they wanted it to happen fast. And so part of the challenge was figuring out the calendar for executive leaders, right? Which the calendaring alone um, is a part of the process, right? And then making the work for a retreat, for um, executive coaching sessions, making it a priority. If you're listening to this, I hope you take a deep breath because my guess is you're beginning to feel the anxiousness, you know what your the resistance is gonna be about the investment of resources and time to do systemic organizational change that's not just window dressing and skimming. And what I know personally is as leaders, the top two, three, four levels, as they deepen their capacity to truly lead with an inclusion lens and build authentic relationships, they start doing more effective leadership in everything they do from performance management, from hiring to coaching, And so some people still think it's a one-off, but you use equity, inclusion, competency development as the way in to culture change in phase one. And you'll start to see some leaders, the early adapters, changing everything they do. And that will get more folks interested. As we move the break, Jamie, how can people reach you? Can you share a bit about your contact and any new programs or services that you're offering? Yeah, so happy to do that. And so I am reachable through my website, again, which is WashingtonConsultingGroup.net, right? And so you can just drop, you check it, check in there and send a note that way. It's also uh, good to directly connect with uh, myself or my colleague, uh, Reverend Sam Offer, through um, our direct line, which is 410-655-9556. Again, 410-655-9556 is our office number or a direct email to me. My emails will come through the Washington Consulting Group website, but you can also directly email me at Dr. Dr. Period, J-A-M-I-E, Dr. Jamie Washington at Comcast, C-O-M-C-A-S-T dot net. Those are all ways that you might reach me and we can talk more about what it is that your particular organization and support needs at this time. Some of you need the kind of the leadership development work. Uh, Some of folks are uh, at the very early stages of wanting to work with diversity councils and groups. So we'll talk more as we come back together. Thanks a lot.
And I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear, and you're listening to Transformation and Change Radio about the potholes and dead ends. And we come back, we're going to move on to phase two and phase three of the culture change process. These dead ends are even harder to notice. And so we'll see you in a quick, short break. Stuck in a roundabout of dysfunction? Stop circling around difficult issues and find out what's been holding you back. Learn how to speak your truth to power with host Dr. Kathy O'Bear. Create real change with smart tools and smart strategies. No frills, no fluff, just life-changing conversations to help get you where you want to be. Extend your reach and become an agent for real change with Kathy O'Bear. For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com. Do you want the knowledge and wisdom to understand where spirituality, science, and psychology intersect? Then join the Karmic Path Radio Show with Tina and Laura on TransformationTalkRadio.com, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Pacific. Follow this charmingly, disarmingly dynamic duo as they explore how psychic ability, spirituality, and karmic law tie together. For more information on Tina, Laura, and their groundbreaking work, visit thekarmicpath.com. Imagine that you can create anything you choose. Literally, imagine it. Join us to explore the neuroscience of imagination, intention, and ClearSpeak. Tune in to ClearSpeak Talk Radio with Dr. Ned Wolf on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Every fourth Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, as she explores how your inner dialogue, your conversations, and the words you choose to use can help set goals you keep. Achieve greater health and resources and feel the ease and flow of loving your life. For more information, visit JeanetteWolf.com. What is a brilliant culture and how do we create them? Why are they important? Claudette Rowley has created a breakthrough five-step process to help you align your culture with your business strategy for exceptional results. Looking for a culture that drives organizational excellence? Listen to Cultural Brilliance Radio, the second and fourth Friday of each month at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Transformation Talk Radio. To learn more or work with Claudette, visit culturalbrilliance.com. Welcome back to Transformation Change Radio. I'm Dr. Kathy Bear with the Reverend Dr. Jamie Washington, and we're continuing to talk about common pitfalls, potholes, dead ends of culture change process. So, Jamie, can you remind folks how to follow you and find you on Twitter and Facebook? Yes, I can. So folks can, uh, again, find me on Facebook. You can find the Washington Consulting Group. Um, that's our Facebook. And you can uh, find me on Twitter at hashtag Reverend Dr. Jamie R. So it's just R-E-V-D-R-J-A-M-I-E. And again, as I said earlier, on the web is the is WashingtonConsultingGroup.net. Uh, and again, as I said earlier, uh, phone numbers are 410-655-9556. That is our office yeah. number, and we uh, will get back to you from there. Thank you. Love it. When organizations are in phase two of the LCY cross change process, building internal capacity, actually most organizations I get invited into haven't moved into this stage yet. They're still spinning in phase one. What are some of the common pitfalls and dead ends when they realize, ooh, we need to build capacity, not just leadership capacity, but throughout the entire organization, we need to have change agents, change makers, whether it's unit change teams, inclusion change teams, all sorts. What are some of the pitfalls they fall into when they're like, yes, 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 we need to build internal capacity? So I, I think, Kath, 
um, the part, one of the pitfalls is they don't know what that is, right? Um, and that, as you talked about earlier, that there's a spinning in phase one and it is the education awareness phase. And be, again, because many of our organizations are very uh, trans, transient. So people come and they go. And, and so we just did that last year. We just did this. And um, what they don't recognize is that uh, we've got to, yes, we must continue to do the basics because of the, you know, the turnover nature of our organization. So you've got, just like you've got, you're going to have first year students every year. You got to do orientation every year. You got new RAs every year. You got to do that. That is not going away. You're always going to need freshman English that. So you're going to have to continue to do that and get people, you know, level set, get people on the same page with new employees and all of those things. But as we talk about the leadership uh, in the organization and the, the, the players who are helping to shift the, 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 the space, they have to build the skills to be able to navigate um, a culture change process, which uh, requires there to be a level of uh, uh, increasing our awareness beyond the individual level, right? It is a widening of our lens to what groups and uh, are disproportionately having this negative impact uh, and, and, and not assuming that one size fits all, right? So being able to do some uh, actual cultural audits and assessments um, and to develop some metrics, that's a very important. And what does it look like to help? The part of the building capacity is helping folks to see beyond awareness, right? Um, and which, which moves us into the knowledge and the skills. So it's really important that uh, as we're building our capacity, we're able to talk with our staff and our employees and our lieutenants who are critical um, as leaders. So as far as leaders, you've got to navigate the lieutenants, right? If you would allow me uh, that kind of hierarchy analysis or analogy, because the lieutenants can sabotage the effort um, because they are following marching orders, but they have not necessarily bought in, nor do they have the skills um, to engage when they are meeting pushback or lack of clarity from the people that they have to work with that are doing it on the front line. So helping folks to understand, well, what does it mean in my day-to-day -day application as a career development person or as the person who is responsible for health and wellness or as the person who's responsible for safety or athletics or the person who is responsible for crisis intervention? How does diversity, equity, and inclusion, that lens, matter? And uh, what I've been saying so much lately is, folks, this conversation is happening everywhere, right? And um, so one of the ways that you develop and build capacity at this level certainly is what happens for us on our individual campus. But I need you at the president's meetings to go to the sessions where the presidents are talking about this so that you're in practice with other people who are serving in your role navigating this. What are the vice provosts? So what are the presidents who are responsible for enrollment management saying about this? What are the content area experts in your particular field navigating and, and, and offering in terms of skills and best practices around that? That's the capacity, some of the capacity building stuff. I love it. A few other ideas I've done or heard is next level of training in your line of 
hierarchy. So mm -hmm. AVPs, directors, managers, supervisors, how do you build inclusive teams, inclusive organizations? It's one thing to gather the data. I find a huge oh, trap wow. is we have a survey, but we don't have focus group data that really adds the nuances and the, the stories. And so a combined, and then you have to teach people First, share the data and talk about it, but then teach them how to use the data for evidence-based decisions every time they make a decision. So I know we both teach folks, how do you use an inclusion lens, full breadth of differences every time you're revising policies, analyzing policies. And what I find in stage two, phase two, is while we're still doing next level of training around privilege group dynamics, marginalized, the skills to recognize those and respond in the moment, get some unit change teams, inclusion change teams, analyzing all the HR policies, analyzing other business policies with an inclusion lens. And so you get a cross section of the organization together, train them, including what you call the lieutenants, that AVP, mm -hmm. maybe some directors who are that middle management and senior middles are where they're often stuck in cement. And so getting them into these action-oriented work groups. You can have inquiry groups, inquiry groups to look and analyze the data, make recommendations. And then in this phase two, you need action work groups, division level, entire organizational level. Now, some people are listening, they're in nonprofits, they're in small businesses, so you may just do one for your whole organization. But I do something called inclusion change teams, and I would love your thoughts on this. I know you do it too. Uh, what are some ways that either at the unit level or the organizational level, you've seen unit and institutional change teams fall into potholes? Say that last part one more time. When you've had an organization-wide change team uh -huh. or a divisional unit change team, because I like to get it down, right down, all the way down to where people are doing the work day to day. What are some potholes that you've seen Yes, let's create a team. Right. What's, Absolutely. What so this is this is one of my favorite pieces to help organizations um, engage. So one of the things that happens is so sometimes they'll call me in or give me a call after they've already done that, right? Um, and there's all these potholes in how they did it, right? So so how do you put the change team together? Who was on it? Who's on it by position? Who's on it by passion? And, and then what is the, where the charge for that group come from, right? So how do they know what they are uh, supposed to do? Who is that team responsible or accountable to? What is their authority, right? To um, implement and offer anything, right? Um, and one of the things that happens with that is they often have none, right? And they feel, so I often say, so if you all didn't do anything, would anybody say anything, <laughs> right? Um, would, would anybody be coming to you, holding you accountable and saying, you know, so you all didn't do anything this year, right? So are, do you have to report back what, what's coming up and what's going on? And what are you being evaluated on, right? And so many of these change teams are glorified programmatic teams. So the expectation is you all are gonna be responsible for making sure we have a Women's History Month or a Black History Month program or you know an LGBT. Um, sometimes those change teams turn into the bias response team, um, and the expectation is that they're going to then somehow you know navigate when there's been a problem or the the advisory team in the middle of a crisis. That's when we're going to bring them in the space. But that is not the strategic diversity, equity, and inclusion 
culture change team, right? And, uh, and so then the other part of that is we assume because people are on it that they have skill, right? Um, and capacity to do the work. So the development of that team is often not done. It is a critical team to build capacity with um, so that they can even engage each other. What often happens with those groups is you'll begin to see the fizzling off and dropping off, right? Um, and that is often because that team actually hasn't done any of its own development work. So they're in there and, you know, people of color is mad because this person is um, thinks that they've got it because they're, you know, they were the first person who hired black people on the campus or the first person who um, really supported um, uh, uh, non-binary non bathrooms and so on and so forth. So they're, so they're operating in those ways. And so the team has not been developed. They haven't developed capacity. There hasn't been a charge that's clear. There isn't clear about where the authority is and what the expectations are. And so the, the team is rendered, um, if you would, impotent um, and not able to really do the work. Now there's lots of often really great people on these spaces, but they find themselves spinning and not knowing where to go and what to do. So the, uh, I, I just, I got a call last week about working with this new diversity strategic um, change team. They're all excited for the organization. I said, so where's your charge? Where did it come from? And so how do we, is, is the charge even a realistic charge, right? Um, did the team come together in reaction to something? Or is the team coming together based upon a value and vision and strategy to move forward? Those are different contexts in which the team comes together and they're trying to navigate. So those are some of the potholes that I think. And then I think that they get themselves into over busyness, right? So we've got to measure our, our work and our effectiveness by the number of things we've done. Um, and and often those things are not connected to or tied to anything in particular, or they often find uh, otherwise find themselves reacting to everything. And that's because the whole organization hasn't continued deepening the skill development and accountability structures. One organization I worked with had an inclusion change team, did development, and then with the leadership team came together, did development to do all that you talked about, and strategically met at least quarterly to talk about how far we've come, how far we need to go, and what are the priorities given the shifting context. You can do that internally. Often it works well if you have an external consultant helping you say what you need to be said, because as a senior diversity officer, when you say things, or even an AVP, or a vice president, it is not safe if you have one or more marginalized identities. And so we have to continue to build internal capacity and I know you're familiar with the inclusion practitioner programs that I'm doing with organizations because it's similar to the diversity practitioner program that we were a part of at LCY Cross Associates. So this idea of embedding at least one person in every unit division. Right. Also, every senior leader has one who gets ongoing development. And again, it's not like a senior diversity officer that gets put out and you do the work. This is a partnership, reverse mentoring they work together to analyze where are we, where do we need to go, how do we get there? And then that inclusion practitioner can work with divisional change teams, unit change teams to help the organization build internal capacity at the lower levels and move into phase three, which is how do you infuse it into everything we do? 
I find a pitfall, and I love your thoughts, is organizations don't get clear of expectations and the competencies they want everyone to do, train to them, and then hold them accountable with very clear performance management. Whenever I say this in any organization, they blank over and they're like, we don't do good performance management on anything. We don't even talk to each other. We're conflict avoidant. How can we do it around equity inclusion? I would love your thoughts. Well, you're exactly right. And what I often will say is we're doing um, committed strategic engagement around culture change, around diversity, equity, inclusion. That's when we'll find out all that stuff. So all of the organization's potholes will begin to show up if we are doing that because we're talking about a culture change process, right? Um, and so that the, as you talk about then uh, accountabilities, um, consequences, rewards, um, ways that we're embedding uh, things into the uh, everyday way of practice and doing, I often will say to folks that as we're talking about the culture shift, it becomes well, of course we do that. We, we do that in everything. That's that's the way we do that. Who, when, when, when did we not do that? It almost feels like we can't remember when we didn't do it. It's it's just the way it becomes the business as usual. The way we engage and what we think about and what we make sure of. And every time we're doing a capital campaign or we're doing a new building or we're setting up a new curriculum or we're hiring another staff member, you know, right? Or we're doing our awards uh, for the the most talented, or we're doing our tenure process, right? And promotion process. There's just things that we, we think about, we know, and we pay attention to uh, because, and, and that, and, and, and that is becomes the way we are. Everybody uh, or, or the majority of the folks know that. And, and, and what I often will say, you can tell when the culture has shifted, when something happens the way it used to happen and it bothers you, right? So, you, uh, it's like, oh, 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 we forgot that, or, or you know, you get, you, you, you catch it, you, you notice it, you, when you hear it, it's like, oh, well, that, that was left out, and um, that, that was framed in that way, and so the, the culture has shifted because my ear is different, I hear things differently, um, thus, um, I, and, and, and then I, and I feel when I, I catch myself, and I forgot to name that, I forgot to say that because um, I, I recognize that this is the way. Uh, we do business today, right? Um, and uh, what I just kind of want to add there is that in that third phase, uh, what is important is that we are celebrating mm. the good work, right? Um, and so part of what this looks like is recognizing that all of it matters, right? And so as I often am inviting folks to think about is what's your vision, right? So we, we talked about passion and vision. Who is it that we want to be? So one of the things that I've experienced is I'm working with um, strategic um, diversity change teams and so on and so forth. We often are just trying to address this issue, respond to this problem, right? Whatever. And I said, so what's your, why are you trying to respond to that? What's your vision for uh, this space? If, if these efforts were successful, what would you see in three years? What would we be doing? What would it feel like? What would you know, be happening in your particular unit? Um, and to have that as a shared community experience around uh, you know, kind of the visioning process and to get to see that we're entering it from different places. And this is what I see is what we want. And that we then are able to have some time to look at here are five things, if you would, 
that all of us really see, or that the mo most of us see as um, what would be um, movement forward. And then invite folks to see, so what's it gonna take for us to get there? That's the strategy um, and the intention um, that then has us move into, we're all making sure that when we bring on our new people, this is happening and, uh, and so on and so forth. Yeah. I love that. And sometimes it's structure changes, onboarding, hiring, mentoring. Sometimes it's capacity building and people listening might be feeling overwhelmed, like we don't have enough people to do this training. Mm -hmm. So I want to remind folks, my new course on designing, facilitating workshops on equity, inclusion, social justice. It's a virtual course where people develop the capacity not only to design and facilitate very focused foundational and advanced workshops, but we also talk about how do you do organizational change training for people in your organization? How do you analyze policies and practices? Because these are the skills you need to be teaching literally everyone in the organization, building it into the performance management, holding them accountable, doing it as teams and teamwork, because everybody needs to be analyzing, revising on a continuous way if we really want culture change for the long haul. Speaking of long haul. Yeah, can I just jump in here real quick before you say that? Because what 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 I want to just make sure we get is that part of the pot one of the potholes is that we try to do accountabilities in startup. Mm. And trying to put in accountabilities before we've set clear understandings about expectations and built the foundation for common language and understanding and values and vision and why we're going there is a clear set up for failure, right? And that is often what happens in the spaces where these efforts are in reaction to something. So we had an upset, we've had an uprising, and folks want people to be held accountable for this. And so people should be fired or let go, or if they don't, if everybody doesn't do this, then they shouldn't be able to do that. And we put in accountabilities before we built capacity um, to engage and to then understand what people are being held accountable for. It's a wonderful point. So it might be May stage two-ish. We start identifying the competencies and put in the structures, but the trainings, we weave it in over time, slowly getting into more day-to-day. -day. Would you just tell us one more time, as you give any other closing comments you have, how can people find you and bring you into their organization? Yeah. So again, um, one of the things that's been beautiful over these last 30 some odd plus years is that we get to work together. And um, one of the things that I didn't used to do because I was concerned that people would think that it was about me trying to make more money or bring me in or whatever. So I didn't talk about the importance of as you are working with um, organizational culture change experts around uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, part of what sabotages effort is not getting consistency. Um, and uh, so, okay, so I'm just going to bring, well, well, people like Kathy and Jamie, okay, well, let's try somebody new next year. Okay, let's try somebody new next year. And the that really does not serve the change effort, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm not saying you need to bring Kathy and I, I'm saying get a relationship with someone uh, that has the content area expertise and the skills needed to help your organization shift and stay there, right? Um, it's not a problem to bring in people who are uh, other people who are working as you are doing some of the good stuff, but you've got to have 
uh, a team, um, a consultant that you're working with that then uh, builds the relationship of trust and so on and so forth to move your organization forward. And so that's what I uh, tend to do. I like to go in. Um, I like to work with organizations that are really committed to culture change um, and know that I'm in it with them for the long haul. Um, so Kathy and I get to do some of that together. You can still reach, you can certainly reach me again in all of the ways, WashingtonConsultingGroup.net. Um, that's our webpage, Washington, uh, the Washington Consulting Group on Facebook. You can connect with me at by email at Dr. D-R period, J-A-M-I-E, Washington at Comcast, C-O-M-C-A-S-T dot net. And you can also reach me on Twitter at um, hashtag R-E-V-D-R-Jamie. Um, so looking forward to, we will be um, at Encore doing several different sessions. So if you're out there and you want to connect with us in Portland in a few weeks, uh, but you can find out where I'm going and what I'm doing as you check out our Facebook uh, uh, page and so on. Thank you so much. Jamie, I'm so grateful for you joining me as you were talking, my, my stomach and heart got full and fluttery because what I'm getting in touch with is I am a very different consultant and change agent today, particularly as a white person, because of your willingness to be in relationship with me all this time. And I am deeply grateful. Thank you deeply so grateful. much. And Thank literally every time I'm with you, I learn something new. That last couple of things you said, I was like, ooh, that's another new twist. But every time I'm with you. Thank you. I appreciate you. I love you back. And if you go to the website on uh, Transformation Radio, where you're listening, you'll see a link. You can get a free access to a webinar, creating inclusive organizations, strategies to build meaningful, sustainable, systemic change. And Or you can just go to my website, drkathyobear.com. That's D-R, no period, D-R-K-A-T-H-Y-O-B-E-A-R.com backslash inclusive webinar. And a lot of what we've been talking about, there'll even be other tools and strategies and thoughts to keep going. And I will honor my half-price scholarship for that video course, Designing Facilitating Powerful Workshops on Equity, Inclusion, Social Justice. Go to my website, backslash facilitation course, drkathyobear.com, backslash facilitation course. And the first five people to sign up, I will honor half-past price scholarship. Also, my website, you get access to all of my three books, and you'll find ways to get on my mailing list for monthly free professional development like this, blogs, access to my knowledge base. I think we have about 80 clips now of me talking about design and training that's open to anybody. So I'm excited, Jamie. I've loved this. Would you be willing to maybe come back again or two? Oh, I'm happy. Happy to. This is uh, delightful, and sharing this time and energy, um, again, helps me to get clear and to sharpen and love us being able to work together. You've been listening to Dr. Kathy O'Bear on Transformation Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in and be sure to catch us next time as Kathy inspires listeners to become agents of change, motivate, innovate, and speak truth to power. Step into the courageous you that will change the world. Connect to life-changing conversations to extend your reach For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com. You've just heard an encore presentation from the Transformation Talk Radio Network. For more information about the network, visit transformationtalkradio.com.